Lord, I thank you so much for the chance for us to be here. And um, I, I'm not sure about everyone who's here, um, whether uh, they look to you or not, but I pray that tonight will be beneficial to everyone and that uh, we ask your, your grace and, and truth over this conversation that is so needed. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, I was talking to a friend, and he said uh, that his, uh, his friend that he was having a conversation with, um, they were talking about issues of race and diversity, and the friend who, who is not a believer, um, although I'm not sure that's, it is an important part of the story, but uh, it could be said by anybody, but this friend had said to him, uh, I just don't think that race relations will ever get better in America. I just think it's, I think it's lost. And we come together tonight to say, yeah, it's a long road to climb and it's uphill, but we refuse to throw in the towel, right? And my prayer has been that tonight you would leave encouraged and equipped. Oftentimes when you watch the news, you turn it off and you're discouraged and you haven't learned anything helpful in the meantime, uh, other than maybe bad habits of people yelling at each other. And I pray tonight that you will leave encouraged and equipped, and I think that that, uh, that will happen. Um, I want to just uh, let everybody, all of our panelists, guest panelists here, introduce themselves. I think that you guys can do it better than me. And so if you would, just um, share briefly uh, who you are and, um, and uh, kind of what brought you here, and, um, and then we'll just kind of get rolling into this. I'll begin with you, Renisha. Well, my name is Renisha Robinson, and Brian brought me here. <laughs> yeah, right. um, I am um, I'm a native of, well, not native, but I am from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, I went to school here, um, went to Edison High School. Um, I actually also was a part of the Highland Park Christian family back in my high school days and was a part of the youth group. Um, I am currently the director of career development at John Bryan University, and um, am excited to be a part of this panel tonight as um, racial reconciliation is absolutely not only important to me, but I believe it is, is so important to, um, to the heart of God and the kingdom of God. And so I'm super excited to be here and glad that Brian, um, the Lord laid on his heart to allow me to be a part of this discussion tonight. My name is uh, Matthew McBirth. Hello, everyone. Uh, I am from the Joplin, Missouri area. I, uh, am the, I saw some Ozark shirts. Yeah, right there. Um, I'm the director of diversity there. Um, we actually just started this department, uh, last year, the diversity department. Um, the big name is like dream of destiny diversity department. That's a lot of D's since I just don't say it all the time. But the whole point of the diversity department is to talk about these things and ultimately to promote unity at our college and at our campus so that our students go on and they promote that same unity and the racial re reconciliation is tied up with it, within that. So I'm excited that Brian brought me here, invited us here, and my beautiful wife is uh, sitting right there, Allison, if you want to raise your hand. There you go, okay. Wait, hand. <laughs> and, oh, and my beautiful uh, child is inside of her right now. So, yeah. <laughs> Just found out. <laughs> Good evening. Um, hey, Jack. <laughs> um, my name is Laron West. I pastor Gilcrease Hills Baptist Church. Um, uh, I thank God for Brian inviting me here tonight. Um, I'm 
I'm involved in the fight for um, justice, racial equality, and reconciliation, and I want to do it God's way. Um, um, our world needs healing, and I want to be a part of, of that. My wife is here, Marlene. She raised her hand. I have to do that, else I'll get in big trouble. <laughs> we have, um, um, I've been pastoring Gilcrease Hills Baptist Church for, um, since 1992. I do mission work in West Africa, and I've traveled to Cuba with Jack and different places. Um, we have, I think, 18 grandchildren, five great-grands, and uh, there's a whole bunch of them at holidays. And I'm, I'm, I'm the president of North Tulsa Baptist Ministers Conference and also the president of Oklahoma State African American Fellowship. We are concerned with, with the church, and if the world is going to be healed, the church has to lead in that, and there are some real um, attitudes and issues that we can address from the Bible that that God calls us to work together and be together. So I, I hope I'm glad you're here tonight. I pray that we'll move in that direction. Thank Brian for opening his doors. My name is Gene Hogan, uh, a member here at Highland Park. My wife over here. I'm going to embarrass her sitting on the corner. We've been married 34 and a half years. So she's put up with a lot. She did not marry a police officer. I've been a police officer with Tulsa for about 20 years. Brian approached me by phone because he didn't have the nerve to approach me by <laughs> face, I think, to get me into this. But I am happy to be here. I hope that I can be a part of a process here. Obviously, I probably have a different angle on some things as a police officer, and I hope I can add to this. Uh, and I hope I can learn from everybody here. So um, just happy to be here. I'm a native uh, from Tulsa, born and raised here, uh, born and raised in North Tulsa, uh, on North Frankfort. Went to Alcott, and uh, we now live out in the country. But she married a carpenter, and then she's now married to a police officer. So she's had a transition for the last 20 years, so I owe her a lot. Yeah. So I'm real happy to be here. Jose? <laughs> uh, I am Jose Heredia. I am the worship minister here at Highland Park Christian Church. I was uh, born and raised in Mexico, uh, and my wife, uh, Sammy, actually, she has, uh, her mom is actually from Guatemala, so I have a little bit of a connection with a little bit of a different issue on unity uh, than uh, some of the guys over here, and that's with the uh, Hispanic population. Uh, a lot of my friends uh, are actually um, illegal immigrants that came here, and I've had the opportunity to uh, just talk to and listen to, and so... I'm glad to be here. All right. Well, uh, I, I let everybody know ahead of time that I want this to be conversational. And so everyone is going to jump in at any point. And if you could have heard the conversation that happened during dinner, we could have recorded that show of Matt and gone home happy uh, because uh, I'm just excited for everyone to, to, to talk. And when they do, um, we'll, we'll all be learning together. Um, I want to just to begin with this question. <laughs> Um, who or what has been most helpful in you developing what you think would be, you know, positive, a positive perspective and a passion to try to help um, bring people together as opposed to, to the divisiveness that we see? Anybody want to jump first? Matthew, you want to jump first on that one? Yes. <laughs> um, When I hear that question, I think, you know, who has been helpful uh, for me? Um, <clears throat> and this may not be the answer that uh, 
for everyone, but someone that has inspired me has been uh, Dr. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, I know he's the one that uh, people are always saying. Um, but I had recently read um, a book that had all of his uh, speeches and um, journals and everything that he has said written down into it. And the man, uh, the man loved God, but he understood that uh, from the love of God, he needed to love men and women. And that's what, and that's what inspired him. Uh, we don't hear that that much. We hear that he's a civil rights activist um, and the person for freedom. But man, what inspired him was the gospel. And just hearing him speak and listening uh, to him and just reading his words, um, nonviolence uh, is a, was a big thing for the civil rights movement, but it, it stemmed from the gospel. It stemmed from just wanting to love people. Um, and that, that, that has helped me tremendously because you can't uh, help somebody if you don't love them. You can try to, um, but if you don't care for that person, um, then you, it's not going to matter. It's just going to be something that you need to check off your list. Um, and I think MLK, uh, he just, he modeled that. And so, that, so that's, that's someone that has inspired me. And I, I always go to him. If you come to my office, um, I have one poster up on my, in my office. I need to put more things up. Um, but it's just a picture of MLK. And uh, he just says, darkness can't drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And hate can't drive out hate. Only love can do that. And uh, that's what this inspires me. Yeah. Um, I would, uh, when I was thinking about that question, it, it was a struggle. But, um, but what I appreciate what God was showing me is I think the greatest um, source of help for me has been the Holy Spirit. Uh, there is something absolutely powerful about being in the presence of God that um, before, it, before any of my struggles or issues point me to someone else, God's going to deal with me first. Um, and so I really appreciate just the, the access that God has given us through Christ um, to go before God and for God to truly, truly show us us, right? Um, so before I even think about, you know, someone offending me or, or wronging me, um, God is looking at me and saying, but what is my standard for you, Ray? And so I really appreciate just that intimacy that I get to have with the Lord and, um, and just how important ra- or, uh, not even just racial reconciliation is, but what it means to be the body of Christ, right? To be one in Christ, to be unified through what the word says is the spirit of Christ. Um, and so um, I just thank God for that. And I just pray as I continue to um, step into, you know, just this calling. And I think we, we, I believe absolutely we're all called to this ministry. It's not just the Brian Jennings. It's not just us people on this stage. But every single person in this room is called to the ministry of reconciliation. We are all sinners who are all in need of a Savior. And that's what we're about. Um, and so I just thank God that, um, you know, just the Holy Spirit is present. And I don't know if some of us as believers realize how important the Holy Spirit is. Like, it's the power of Christ living on the inside of each and every one of us, drawing us to God and into one another. So um, I would say the Holy Spirit, um, and then again, you know, the Holy Spirit, you know, love in itself. Like, that's a gift. That's the fruit of the Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit allows for us to love one another. And so, um, you know, you, we can't talk about racial, racial reconciliation. If, I don't, if you don't love me, you can't tell me nothing, right? So, um, so, yeah, so that's what I would say. Yeah, Gene, do you want to speak just when we talked, one of the things that impressed me was the influence your parents had on shaping your whole perspective. And I know not everybody has that, 
But for everybody here who speaks into the lives of children, that should mean something. You want to speak about that for a little bit? Yeah, I told Brian, <clears throat> pardon me, I told Brian, that, uh, and I mentioned that a while ago, I was, I was raised in North Tulsa on, on North Frankfurt. And this, uh, I'm dating myself here, I'm, I'm actually not 39, I know you guys thought I was, but uh, I'm a little closer to 59 actually, but uh, I grew up in North Tulsa in the 60s, and some people at my age remember, and the younger ones don't, but there were a lot of racial issues in the country back then. Um, we had white-only bathrooms, we had white-only water fountains, I didn't experience that, but I know that was going on, but because of my mother's, the way she raised me was I was raised that nobody was any different. Half of my friends were, were black kids. We boxed together. We played baseball together. We ate and drank after each other. That was totally unheard of. We spent the night with each other. And that's carried over into my adult life. And like I told Brian, and I'll tell you, and I told his boss down there, I was talking to her earlier, uh, your boss, by the way. I'm sorry, your wife is what I meant to say. Um, racism is a choice. It's absolutely a choice. You have a choice to love everybody unconditionally, like God wants us to, and that goes back to grace. Or you can, be, you can buy into the influences of the wrong people in your life. I refuse to do that. That's not the way I was raised, and I've raised my children the same way. And I carry that over into being a police officer. And I have, I've had a lot of experience where that is reversed on me as a white officer, but what I have to remember is it's really not what it's about. They're not picking on me so much as they're taking their frustrations out a lot of times on the uniform. So I have to let that go. I'm not going to get sucked into that. I'm not going to give up the way that I was raised and my beliefs. And so it goes back really to the way I was raised. It starts at home. Yeah, and I've already decided I don't like this hosting job because I don't have a pen and I'm not taking notes. So I hope you're taking good notes. Beth, yeah, take, take notes good notes so that I can look at them later and I'll tweet them all later um, or something like that. So I, I'm thinking, though, I love that line that you can't help someone unless you love them and you can't love them unless you know them. And I think when we talk about uh, children, grandchildren, um, your own relationships, that sometimes you have to be very intentional to find some diversity in your life. And then when you find that diversity, you make a friend and you care for somebody and you love somebody and thus you can help some of the things that are going on. That's not the whole reason you do that. You do that because you're a friendly person, you love the Lord and you love others. I, I wanted to mention one thing that um, I got some input from several different people uh, of different ethnic backgrounds and this stage could have gotten really large with the number of people. And I, I wanted to just say that uh, I admit that we aren't covering, you know, even half of the issues. Um, I talked to a, a friend who um, is here from Korea and talked about some of the challenges his community faces. And, um, and I know uh, our Native American community um, has challenges that they face. And there's different. So I, I wanted to say that. But. When we speak, we can speak about whatever, feel free to speak about what, whatever you're familiar with or, or how, what you've learned. But I wanted to just kind of move to this next question. And Lorraine, I wanted to kind of start with you. Um, I think you have a, a good grasp on this, but how is Tulsa doing? How, how would you respond to that? So don't forget your microphone there. Uh, there you go. Can I get another question? <laughs> <laughs> How is Tulsa doing? 
Um, I, I'm, I'm, I was raised in Tulsa. I was born in Tulsa, raised here, went to school here. I was born here in um, 1850, I mean 1951. <laughs> and um, uh, the Tulsa that I was born into, uh, I was a child of the 60s, North Tulsa. Uh, my parents <clears throat> taught me um, that I had to face a world every day that was hostile toward me. That was my everyday training. <clears throat> um, it, it was dangerous for me to live as, an, as a black person in Tulsa, just, just the normal run of things. Um, I was taught to uh, respect the police, but to be afraid of the police. The police, when he came, when they came, it didn't mean anything good for us. So that 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 was just survival. That was what I was taught. <clears throat> my my grandfather owned a restaurant that he bought right after the race riots in 1920, and he owned that business uh, down on Greenwood, where mm -hmm. Black Wall Street and all of that. So I learned to work in that restaurant, <clears throat> and there was mainly African Americans that came in there. Um, how is Tulsa doing? Um, Tulsa has gotten better, but it has a long, 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 long way to go. I spent 30 years on the Tulsa Fire Department, um, and my job, even on the Tulsa Fire Department, I wouldn't have had that job had it not been for uh, a lawsuit that was filed um, um, by an African-American guy that got fired, and the, and the decision of that was that there had to be a quota of minority firefighters on the Tulsa Fire Department. I was part of that that got hired. And for years, even in 1977 when I got hired, they never hired one more than that quota. That's Tulsa. <clears throat> um, um, that, that, that's from my perspective. I had a lot of people that um, um, didn't make it. Um, some died in jail. Um, I had friends that were hung in jail. They said they hung themselves in jail those kinds of things. So how are we doing now? I, I'm hopeful, but I, I, if, if I had to give a grade, if I had to give a letter grade, I, and, and don't, don't groan, but I, I would have to give Tulsa a, a D or a D minus in their race relations. I really would. So that's okay. where I'm at. Anybody else want to speak to that? That's a loaded one. <laughs> well, I, I want to move on, and Jose, I'm going to ask you to jump in first here. But I want to, I want to mention three words that I think ha come around here a lot. The first word is blinders. The second word is truth. And the third word is fear. When you think of blinders, um, for those of you who have, who have read through the book of Acts, and you've read the story of the life of Peter, he had these blinders on that he thought that in order for a Gentile to become a Christian, they had to become a Jew first. That was kind of his hang-up. And God taught it to him, and he didn't, Jesus taught it to him. He did not get it. Jesus told parables. Peter was still not getting it. And finally, he sends this vision, and he has him meet this guy named Cornelius, and it's all very miraculous. And Peter gets it for a little while. And then he reverts back. And so it was like Peter had these blinders on, and God kept chipping away at these things. And eventually, you know, uh, we're so thankful for Peter. Our lives are impacted by him still to this day. And I'm so thankful, by the way, that God did not give up on Peter. Because some of us have been Peter. And we had blinders on for a long time. Um, 
But the, the blinders that we often have on are that, that things are okay. Or because my, my world is fine, everyone else's world must be fine. Or because this is what I saw, this is how I'll treat other people and that's okay. And it may just be lack of education or lack of relationships or lack of exposing yourself to uh, other people. But there's these blinders. And so um, it, it often discounts other people's perspectives. And so, Jose, I just wanted you to kind of begin with um, what helps people remove their blinders to be able to maybe see the world from a little bit different perspective than maybe they saw before? Oh dear. Um, well, actually, this uh, just this past uh, Sunday, I preached this. Is my microphone bus? Hey, Gene, can you share your Coming microphone with Jose? Yeah. Okay. okay how about now? Better. There you go. Okay, just cut that. No, on the video. <laughs> All right. Um, so, I was preaching about this this past Sunday. And I actually, since then, and I was preaching a little bit about this subject, and I had, since then, I had uh, three different times I had the same conversations about this. Um, and so for the specific issue of um, what I can talk about, which is um, Hispanic population, and in most cases, the illegal immigrants, uh, the problem mainly um, is that we start seeing people from a political view, we start seeing people from uh, our Americanized. We we start saying um, be, we become Americans first, and then we become Christians second. Mm -hmm. So I think that uh, the first thing that we can do uh, is to start putting ourselves in the feet of Jesus and just thinking the way that Jesus would have about a person. And if you have to think about that person uh, in your American shoes, you can do that. But you can do that afterwards after you think about people from the Christian perspective. Yeah, and I want to dig in maybe just a little bit deeper because you and I have talked about this, and you had mentioned something to me a while back about how people make an assumption about how you would feel that at least initially was incorrect, that they would assume that you would, how you felt, I think what you said to me was, people assume that I would say I'm for illegal immigration, and you actually felt the opposite because you had gone through the work. So explain like how you felt, and then explain what changed, how, how it kind of softened, I guess, your, your heart a little bit on that, what it took to soften a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think that assumptions uh, can be really, um, they, they're awful to make. Uh, you can't, there are certain things that you can't assume. You can't assume that a lady is pregnant right? You can't Amen. assume that I can play good basketball because I'm six feet tall, you know? So I think that we make all these assumptions uh, just by looking at people. And you might see me and you might say, well, he's Hispanic. Uh, and you might say, well, his people are uh, all these guys that are coming over to the United States and they're illegal immigrants. And you might say, well, Jose obviously likes and he's in favor of those, those people. First of all, I'm not in favor of people coming here legally. So I want you to, to just listen to me from that, that point of view. I'm not in favor of people coming to the United States illegally. Um, but actually, it's the complete opposite. I'm not, um, at the beginning, whenever I started thinking about people uh, that came here legally, I was, I was like, really, I'm like, 
I had to go through so much to come to the United States. My family had to pay thousands of dollars. Uh, I had to travel to different cities several times to get uh, health uh, tests. And they were cities that were completely dangerous. My mom uh, at the time, uh, she was a single mom with uh, me and my two other sisters. And we were traveling to the most dangerous cities in Mexico, which at the time there was like all these uh, beheadings and stuff like that. And so I had to travel to those cities. My mom was completely afraid every time we went there just to get a visa for us to come to the United States. And I said, how is it that I have to go through all of that? And there's all these guys just giving a few hundred bucks to somebody to just cross them over. So at first, at first this was my point of view that I didn't like those people. And so, it's, so you might have thought uh, that I've always liked them because they're my people. But this was actually the point of view that I had um, probably while I was in high school, my first year in college maybe even. Um, and so I don't know if you want me to talk about when he changed a little bit. Yeah, that, what, what was it that softened your heart to not just be against someone or angry at someone? Um, well, I, I worked at a Mexican restaurant and I talked about this on Sunday. And so I didn't know that some of the people there were illegal, but I, I knew their stories. I started hearing why they came to the United States and what they went through. Uh, and when I started hearing that they came here because um, they wanted to be able to pay for their, one of them wanted to pay for his uh, daughter's education back in Mexico. So every time he would come, he would, uh, he would work, he would send money back to Mexico uh, every week uh, for his daughter. Uh, you gotta understand that in some parts of Mexico, uh, there's, you have to travel really far uh, and you have to move to a different uh, place of town just to be able to get a high school education. So this guy was working hard in the United States so he could pay for his daughter's high school in a different city, for his daughter's college in a different city in Mexico. And so whenever I started hearing that, I started changing a little bit of my mind. Uh, another guy that he was really afraid of even driving, so I would drive him everywhere. Um, he would get paid. Uh, I saw his paycheck, and he would get paid like very, very little for what he did. Um, and most of that paycheck, he would send it back uh, to Mexico for his mom who was having health issues. And so when I started hearing the, hearing the stories of people, um, I was able to just put myself in a little bit of more, uh, just looking at them and thinking about what Jesus uh, would think of these people. And I was just, it was mainly just, just Jesus, man that um, I was able to hear, hearing the stories of people, yeah. um, it really made a, a huge impact in how I thought of people. Yeah, but you listened to stories, yeah. So Matthew, you, like your job at the school is to help people take off some blinders. What do you see that's, that's helpful? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, one of the blinders, and, and Brian, you kind of already alluded to this, is, uh, is this individualism. Um, we live in a, a society that is very individualistic, and that's just Western culture. Um, so we're not the only country that, that is like this. But what individualism is this, that you are responsible for yourself and for those in your inner circle. Okay? Now, there's value that comes with that. You need to take care of yourself. You need to take care of your family and your close friends. Um, but the problem with individualism is that it blinds you from seeing uh, systems and structures. It blinds you from seeing the things um, that are behind 
the society or that allow the society to, to, to hold up. And so when you're talking about uh, race or race relations in our country and you can't see uh, systems or you can't see structures or you don't recognize uh, the impact the past has on the present, um, the conversation is, is, is very limited. Because what you think is then is this, um, well, I grew up in this neighborhood and nothing bad ever happened there. Um, or I, I, my, my best friend was black and we were good. So where it's just like, well, that's a very individualistic uh, thought. Um, a structure would be, okay, what's the history of race relations when it comes to Africans and African Americans? What's the history that the United States has with the Hispanic population? What's the history that we have with Native Americans? Because from that history, now we have a system set in place. Now there's a structure set in place where we've made laws that have discriminated against people for hundreds and hundreds of years, and now that we think that it's been since the 60s, those laws are done away with, you're good now. Um, that's just a very individ individualistic thing. So the way that you can soften that is just uh, is to, is to kind of go away from that a little bit. There, there is value in individualism. There is value in that. But I think we as Christians, I think you see this in the Bible. Uh, the Bible, uh, the culture of the Bible is not individualistic. When they start talking about sin, they don't just talk about, they, they say um, these consequences, this sin will not only be on to you, but it will be on your children and your children's children. It's, it's a very communal thing. And so we need to start thinking that way when it comes to race relations and racism. So whenever something bad not only happens to me and my family or even my neighbor, when something bad happens to someone in my community, that person matters to me. They're part of my identity because they're within my community. Therefore, if something bad happens to them, it hurts me. Yeah. Um, and I'll say this. I'm not, I'm not from Tulsa. Um, but I'll tell you this. Whenever... Uh, Whenever the event happened with, with, with uh, Terrence, um, the night I heard of it, I said, we have to do something at Ozark. We have students that are from Tulsa. Um, and so we need to do something. So the Tuesday, we have, we have a weekly chapel every Tuesday. It was a Tuesday after that happened. And uh, I met with president, uh, our president of the college and um, our, our praise team leader of the, of the chapel and said, we need to spend uh, 20 minutes praying for what's going on in Tulsa. And we need to talk to our students about what's actually happening. Um, because it's not just what's going on in our college, but it's not even what's even going on in Joplin. It's what's happening two hours away from us. Um, so we just need to start thinking more communal. That's good. Please. So when I hear you say com communal, when I, what I hear is I hear kingdom get, right? Um, I, I think one of our, our greatest opportunities in the church is we don't think kingdom. We don't think in light of the kingdom. Like we think in light of our own personal preferences or our comfort. Um, and I don't know about y'all, but there is nothing easy about being a Christian, okay? To die every day of myself, like, right? To crucify my flesh, not to crucify your flesh, your flesh, right? <laughs> but God is telling me to die, you know, and to live through Christ. Um, and so when I look at the church, um, and I've, I've been in very, Highland Park was a church home. I grew up in the black church. You know, I go to 
a, a white church in, in Arkansas right now. I've been in these spaces so much. So one of the things that really bothers me is that we will choose our preferences over kingdom. And that's not okay. It's not okay. Yes, I'm black. And yes, I love gospel music. But, but you know what? The Holy Spirit has opened my heart up to all the creative ways that God desires for us to worship, right? Um, you know, I listen to Pastor Tony Evans. I listen to Brian. I listen to, you know, Matt Chandler. I mean, everything about my life because of the Holy Spirit is diversity because the Spirit does that. But we, but we, because we're human and sometimes we allow our flesh to lead us and not the Spirit, you know, we will choose where we're comfortable and we can't grow when we're comfortable. We grow when we're challenged. We're growing when I'm rubbing on you and I don't like it. Beth and I joke about this all the time. Beth will call me out in a minute, but it's in love. And I do the same thing to her. And that's what we're supposed to do. I don't get mad at Beth. I thank God for Beth. We joke, we laugh, we play, right? But that's kingdom. You can't dismiss me, Beth. I'm a part of your life forever, right? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you know, so. we, 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 the church, because we don't think kingdom, and we're not, we don't want to lay down our lives. You know, we feel like we can easily dismiss one another. But God's not pleased with that. We don't get to dismiss one another. We're a body. We're a family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have to start living that way. Yeah, amen. Thank you. I, w I want to give um, Ron and Jean a, a crack at this one if they would like it. So there's your warning, guys. <laughs> I, I want to move on to the next word. The word is truth. And... Um, Laurent, would you speak a little bit? You said something to me that um, uh, has something I will remember that's made an impact. Um, you said exaggeration isn't exaggeration. Exaggeration is sin. What? You remember you said that? It was good. I wrote it. It was good. You were probably quoting Marlene, but it was good. Um, can you talk a little bit about the value of truth? Because that matters so much in this conversation. Yeah. Um, what, what, happens with, uh, what happens with an exaggeration is that uh, it becomes false because you add to what the truth is. You, you add a layer to the truth uh, in, in, a, in a sensational way. It's, it's what you do when the, when the truth speaks for itself. You don't need to add anything to it because whatever you add to the truth changes that truth. And so exaggeration, um, you, you, you're making it more than what it really is. Um, unfortunately, I mean, when we talk about uh, racism, which is what we're talking about, and reconciliation and those kinds of things, um, sometimes we exaggerate the truth, which makes it a fallacy. Um, it, it's, it's what the teenage boy does when he's trying to impress a girl. He tells her how beautiful she is when she really don't look that good. <laughs> but but it, 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 it causes the, the distortion and it causes us to go to that comfort place. I'm, 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 I'm with kingdom, I'm, 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 I'm with that, I'm with the Spirit of God. But the requirement, the requirement of the Spirit of God is that we live in relationship with one another. Now, um, you don't get to choose your parents. You don't get to choose your children. When they come here, they're yours. You don't get to pick them. 
If they come out looking a certain way, you got to keep them. That's just the way they are. And, and, and God, has the same, God has the same issue, only God doesn't have a problem accepting us the way we are. And so rela- relationally, in, 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 in our truth, the blinders that we're talking about, oftentimes these blinders come from recordings and the way we've had to live. One of the most difficult things in my life is growing up and understanding that what my parents taught me, even though they gave me the best that they had for me to make it and survive, I love them for that. But some of the things they taught me was wrong. It's hard to unlearn those things. And those recordings, those, uh, I think someone called them, um, you had another word for them, I don't know what it is right now. But those recordings that happen in our lives, sometimes we need to revisit those recordings. Are the things that you know about African-American people, are they really true, or is it something you heard somebody say? And you make that your experience, you see? And so we begin to filter that. And so you automatically uh, form an opinion about what I am when you haven't met me. It's kind of what Jose was speaking about, um, because he's uh, of Mexican descent. There are certain things that play through your mind, and, and fear and all of that plays into that. That which, which, is your, which is your next word. So the Bible has the answer for that. And I'm, I'm just about through. My, my truth and the way God brought this to me, very real in my life. I, I was 30 years on Tulsa Fire Department. Um, there are times in my tenure as a fireman that I was required to risk my life for someone that I know wouldn't give me the time of day. I had to risk my life to save someone's life that I know wouldn't speak to me or would actually call me a name while I'm rescuing them. I had the option. They could say something to me and I could just leave them there and go. But something in me and some, and I'm glad God, I, I never did that, but God required of me something in that moment That in the moment that it's dangerous and your life is at stake, nothing else matters. It wouldn't matter if my hand was black. It wouldn't matter if my hand was like a gorilla's hand. It wouldn't matter if I looked like E.T. If I had what it takes to save your life, you'll take my hand. Now, it may change tomorrow. You won't have lunch with me. You may not ever thank me. But in that moment, there was some truth. And, and, and that, that plays into my ministry. Um, I started pastoring a church that was a mixed church, white, African-American, Native American, all of that. And the gospel is for everyone. You don't get to choose who you preach the truth to. You don't get to choose who you love. You're required and commanded by God to love everybody. That's a command. God said, I can love them, and if I'm in you, you can love them too. It doesn't have anything to do with their reputation. It doesn't have anything to do with what they might do to you. It doesn't have anything to do with your blindness. It has to do with the truth of the gospel, and it will take care of all of your fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. You want to jump on that one, Gene? Yeah, ditto. <laughs> <laughs> ditto. <laughs> Now, uh, with me, um, I think about truth. The truth is, is this. 
Facts are facts. And then you have everything else. You base your life and your opinions and your, um, your love of, of everybody, regardless of, of race or ethnicity or the amount of money they make, you base that on what you know. Unless you buy into everything else that you hear that you can't prove, and you, so you, then you become that person. So are you, a, are you a leader or are you a follower? And that goes back to the blinders. You can't, you can, I guess, you can't ignore things that have happened in the past. But if we're going to move on and make this whole thing work, you have to accept what's happened. And Danny Lynchard, who's a friend of, of, uh, of Dave's and, and Brian's both, he's one of our, he's our lead chaplain on the police and the fire department. He told me something once that, that has stuck with me forever. He said, you know, scars run deep. And just because you can't see them doesn't mean they're not still there. Hmm. Does that make sense? So there's things that have happened in the past, and it's about time that we face those as, as people, not as a single race, but as people. And it goes back to that one word that I have said my whole life, and it's grace. God gave us grace, which is why we're all saved. He commands us to give each other grace. If you don't give your fellow guy grace, your fellow man grace, this thing's not going to work. Yeah. yeah. Please, go ahead. All right. I wanted to add on to that. When I, uh, just in reference to grace in general, I think, um, and again, I think we had alluded to um, uh, the church being at the forefront of this conversation, and I think it is so important. And we have, we have a lot to do. Uh, but I think it's that the 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 word grace. Um, where I think I don't again, if I were to grade us, we don't do good with that in the church. <laughs> we want grace, but we don't want to give grace. Amen. Right? Like we're like, yeah, give me grace all day, forgive me. But then when it comes to us extending that grace, we want to hold it. We want to become, you know, we become selective with who we give grace to. And I think it's such a danger to um, to the work that God is trying to do amongst us in order to do the work He's called us to do in the world, right? And so um, just speaking into that, I would highly encourage us is to, is to not, as we're looking at one another, as we're talking into this, don't forget how jacked up you are. And I'm so for real, we are jacked up, y'all. Like, and we need Jesus, even, even in our, even in our, our, our redemptive state in the, in the process of sanctification that we're going through, God is purifying us still, but we, we are messed up every day. I'm fighting off thoughts. I'm trying to crucify my flesh. You know, I'm, I'm, I get offended. I offend. And, 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 and just to think that that does not separate me from God, right? Like, if God doesn't dismiss me, like, why do we've got to stop doing that? If we could just look at us in Christ, right, and how God continually loves us in our jacked upness, because ain't nobody in here perfect, right? Okay. Ain't nobody here perfect, and we need God every day. How dare we not go into this world and extend that same grace to these individuals? Mm-hmm. Again, you know, let us walk in that, that grace and that humility of who, who God is to us. I need him every day. And, and for those who know me, y'all know I love the Lord. Okay? He is my boo. All right? <laughs> and I need him every day. And I will never stand before God, God and, or anybody else and act like I got it all together. I, I only have it together because of the Lord, because of the Spirit. 
So again, Grace, put that out there, your word. <laughs> if I can uh, just jump in to that, I know that we're deviating from your question. But Which is I'm, exactly what I wanted. I want you guys to run the agenda here. You're good. So I'm just going to jump on this because I, I love that about just talking about how we're all messed up, how um, how like that grace plays a really important part in this. And I, I just feel like I really got to jump in here because um, I've, I know exactly what uh, we're struggling with when it comes to illegal immigrants because I heard it uh, three different times uh, on three different days uh, this week uh, from different people. Uh, that was right after a Sunday uh, sermon that we preached about this. So I just want to jump in and just mention that, that part about grace. And I, I mentioned this with other people, but I know that maybe some of you are also struggling with this issue of illegal immigrants. And um, I think that we should definitely see uh, the fact that the people are here um, illegally is a mistake, it's, uh, it's probably something that uh, you see as a sin, uh, as a loss of the land and all of these issues. Uh, and I completely understand that. Just from that perspective, um, I think that I want, I think that what I'm trying to say is that so many times we, uh, we fail to see uh, illegal immigrants from our perspective of uh, Christianity, like I mentioned before. But I think that uh, it's just so difficult for us uh, to see an illegal immigrant and just love on that person before. Uh, I think that when it comes to Christians, we can think about how Jesus treated people whenever they were under sin. He loved on them, he healed them, and then he told them, go on and sin no more. So what I'm trying to say here, like summarize it a little bit, is that it is not your uh, it is not your responsibility uh, to tell people that they shouldn't be here, and this is why. Because you don't have a relationship with them first. If you do, and if they are Christians, if they are trying to follow Jesus, then go on and have that difficult conversation with them like I've had to have with one person. But that was one person out of all the illegal immigrants that I've had to talk with, uh, that I've had to interact with. Why? Because he was the only one that was a devoted Christian, and he wanted to follow Jesus, and I had a really good relationship with this guy. So if you don't have a good relationship with, this, with somebody that's illegal, uh, and uh, they're not trying to follow Jesus, I want to just encourage you to treat it as any other sin. What do you do when uh, you have uh, somebody that's struggling with a specific sin? Well, if they're not Christian, you don't expect them to act like Christians, right? If you don't have a good relationship with them, you encourage somebody else that does have a good relationship with them to talk to them. So in my perspective, uh, if anybody here has, does, if nobody here has that relationship with the illegal immigrants and you don't see that they're trying to follow Jesus, you don't think of them as you shouldn't be here. That is not something that you think of. You think of them first as they need Jesus. And that is the grace part um, that I think that we've all received. And that is, I know that um, there's all political issues jumping in your head, but we're Christians before we're Americans. And that is just, that is just how I've been feeling lately. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I think one of, this is a, this could, I'll, I'll say this, I don't know that we need to jump all the way over here, but 
um, for Gene when he has the uniform on and um, he sees me trying to pickpocket Jose and run away, he should tackle me and cuff me. He should, because God put governments in place to keep order, because you can't have me going around pickpocketing all of you. Check your wallets before you leave. <laughs> um, but if we're in line over here and I cut in front of Gene to get my coffee first, he can't, as a Christian, slam me down and cuff me, right? There's a difference between our lives as Christians and people put in places of authority to carry out that, um, to, to keep order and uh, to actually be loving for its citizens. I want to talk about that, this word fear just for a, a few minutes, and then we're going to take a, a quick kind of bathroom break and coffee break here uh, to let you catch your breath. Um, just next door in our worship center several years ago, there was um, a lady who had gone through a recovery program and had just been baptized, and we were so excited for her, and uh, her hair was still wet um, when I came up to give her like this little side hug thing, and when I did, she flinched. I did not know that she had a story of abuse from men. I mean, I felt terrible. It's... It, it wasn't my fault that I offended her in that moment, but it wasn't her fault that she was scared in that moment. I think lots of times that we think, because it wasn't my fault that you're afraid, you shouldn't be afraid. But fear is a very real thing that happens here. And um, just one more brief story that elevated this for me. Um, my wife and I um, had the, the great joy of um, bringing home our third child from Ethiopia. And um, one of the things that Shrabi and I like to do is go for walks. And we, we had this little stage where we would go and kind of explore different neighborhoods. And we were kind of west of downtown. And there's kind of some interesting, unique neighborhoods over there. And you can be real close to downtown, but suddenly feel like you're in Carthage, Missouri, which is where I was born. You feel like you're in this quaint little neighborhood. And we were walking down one, and there was nobody, I mean nobody, that we, not any cars, not any pedestrians, just us walking down this road. And I heard a truck engine rev, you know, room, 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 around the corner, could not see it, but I heard it rev. And then I saw it turn the corner, and I saw two men um, with a Confederate flag waving, and the, and the truck came gunning our way. And I can't tell you, even telling the story, the fear that came in me in that moment. I grabbed her hand, and we jumped kind of out of the side of the street to the sidewalk, and I began looking around thinking, do we need to run somewhere? Is this dangerous for her? And there was this fear that I had never experienced like that. And even saying this, I wish you could feel my heart. And I realized God taught me in that moment that there's some fears that people have um, that I had never experienced because I had never had to worry. There, there has not been, not in Joplin, Missouri, there were never flags flown um, that sometimes could celebrate my demise. I'm gonna say sometimes. But that flag sometimes celebrates the demise of the African American. And in that moment of fear, I, God has taught me so much 
Um, took me 39 years to get there. I think it was three years ago. And so we have to talk about this thing of fear a little bit. And I wanted just maybe for a couple of you, if you can, to share, um, just being honest and vulnerable, what have been some fears that you've had? And And I ask you that because I think sometimes it's helpful for us just to hear, oh, I never thought about that making somebody else afraid. And afraid might even be too strong of a world. A word. Maybe it's it's you know really uncomfortable or awkward. Um, have there been any any things that have come up? Because those are the things that kind of impact us and layer up later on in life. Yeah, I can uh, speak to that. Um, I grew up in a city um, called Jeffersonville, Indiana, right across from Louisville, Kentucky, and um, my older brother uh, he had a just very bad relationships with um, the police officers in in our city. Um, he would tell stories about how they would pull him over and uh, they they do him by name and they would try to get him to snitch on his friends. Um, Tattle tell or, hey, where is this person at? Um, and they would say, if you don't say it, we're gonna frame you. We're gonna, we'll, we'll put a drug in your car. We'll, we'll, we'll do something to you. And this is this is my older brother Derek that's telling us. So he's not lying. My, my brother does not lie. Um, and this, he said, that's my experience uh, with police officers. Now, I've never been pulled over by a police officer in Jeffersonville. Um, I've had the police call on me twice in Jeffersonville, in my own neighborhood, for playing basketball. Uh, out in the street. So this, so that's my high school uh, time. And fast forward into my college years, uh, that's where I started paying attention more to the news and stuff like that. And uh, start hearing more about the uh, men and men and uh, boys and, and women being shot by police officers. And uh, unarmed and seeing the videos of that happening too. And I developed this, uh, like you said, fear is kind of a strong word, but that may not be the that might, that may be the right term to use. Um, whenever I would see a police officer in Joplin, Missouri, uh, coming down the street next to me, I remember one time I was, I was driving back from uh, Ozark, where I work at, to my apartment, which the drive was like three minutes. I was driving back. My wallet was in the back seat of my car because I was kind of working out. And I saw a police car coming up to me, and I thought to myself, if they pull me over and they ask for my license, and I'm gonna have to turn around and grab my wallet. You know, usually you're supposed to just have it in your pocket or right there, so you're not making any sudden moves, but I was tired, so I threw it in the back of my car. And I thought to myself, if I do that, there's a chance that this uh, police officer will shoot me. There's a chance that I won't make it home three minutes from where, where I work at. Um, so that was a fear uh, that, that I uh, had in college. And even, honestly, uh, that, that incident happened uh, back, in, back in January, mm-hmm. where, where, where I thought that. Um, and I've talked to several students at, my, at, at Ozark who are, who are fearful that uh, whenever they see a police officer, that something bad could happen to them. Mm-hmm. 
So that's me being honest, and yeah, that's yeah, I something. Appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I would um, share. So where I currently work and live, um, I live in Northwest Arkansas, um, and I work at JBU. Um, I, I'm also a JBU alumni, so I went to JBU from 2002 to 2006, and um, I recall driving to the Walmart one day and um, being in traffic and looking behind me, and I see three Caucasian men in a truck. Um, and I just, I, I hear some of the explicit, or the, the words that they're saying, curse words um, that, that are coming out, out of their mouths. And then I, I see a younger guy in the middle and he's like sticking out his middle finger at me. And I'm like, what am I doing in this moment that has caused these men to let me know that they are not okay with me uh, being in traffic with them? And so they follow me for a ways and I finally make it to Walmart and they kind of go off. Well, that, <laughs> Of course, you're, I'm feeling fear in that moment. I, and I'm, I'm at JBU, and I'm one of probably two or three African-American young women on this campus. No diverse faculty or staff members on that campus. And I, I don't have an outlet to express what I just experienced, right? Um, and so um, for 10 years later, so we fast forward 10 years later, and I'm, God calls me to go back to JBU to work. So. I'm coming from corporate America where I think that's where I'm gonna be. And the Lord's like, nope, you're gonna go back to JBU. And I'm like, uh, we're going back where? Uh, you want me to go back to Siloam Springs, Arkansas? Um, and I remember telling God, um, I don't ever wanna come back to this place, right? I remember saying those words. Um, and of course, when you, whenever you tell God you're not gonna do something, he's gonna do it anyways, right? Um, and so um, being at JBU now, um, and I, I live in Springdale, Arkansas. So I intentionally chose not to live in Siloam. Um, um, and Springdale's a little bit more diverse than um, Siloam is. But even on my drive, I've, on three or four different occasions, I've been followed by, by men in trucks, Caucasian men in trucks, um, telling me or riding, along, riding alongside of me in the truck, um, trying to basically drive fear. Um, and so I drive very in this space of being mindful of where I'm at. Um, and so I tend to maybe speed here and there because I'm just like, I'm trying to go from my house to my job and from my job to my house um, because I'm mindful of this. Um, and so um, the fear comes and I feel it. Um, but I've also, uh, you know, just with the Lord and knowing who God is, I, I thank God I get to exercise what it means to live in faith, um, that I don't have to live in that fear. Um, it comes um, and, it, and, it, and it tries to stay, but I choose not to let it stay. But it's something that I know that I, I'm going to live with as long as I commute back and forth um, or work in Silent Springs, Arkansas. Um, you know, we're dealing with people, you know, everybody's not a believer. Um, and for me to assume, you know, um, working at a Christian university and commuting um, into this town that they are um, is me being ignorant. So it's just, I know the work God has called me to do and I'm choosing to not allow my fears or my awareness of this activity to stop the work that God is doing. Um, so, um, but yeah, it, these things are happening um, and those fears come, um, but you know, let, I'm gonna continue to push forward, so. Yeah, yeah and I don't wanna, take away from anybody else, but to jump back in, um, yeah, our fear can, of other people uh, can make us stop wanting to love other people. Um, and that's what I've seen a lot, um, where people have been scared so much to the point of hatred, 
for another person because um, they're ex an unhealthy experience that they've had. Um, and so just, just, just off of that, because of my, uh, you know, uncomfortability with police officers sometimes, uh, and it's, it's usually just, just driving down the road, um, I, I've decided every single time I see a police officer, I'm going to wave. I'm going to say, I'm going to try to say hello. I used to even be afraid to do that. I used to be like, because they're going to think I'm doing something suspicious. <laughs> like, why, why is this man smiling and waving at me for no reason? He doesn't know me. Um, but it, that, 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 that helps me say, you know, that I wave at the people that I like, that I appreciate, that, um, that are part of my community. And so, um, just like you said, living in faith, um, no matter the fear, you have to try to love that person anyway. So, yeah. And I, I appreciate that because it's good for us to hear some natural fears because if we're not paying attention to those, then those can impact. And I appreciate how uh, all of you have shared some of those um, and even some of those that you have faced this week from all kinds of different angles and realizing there's lots that can make us afraid. Okay, we're going to pause here for a moment and we're going to take about a five-minute break and then we're going to jump right back in. Um, you're welcome to get more coffee, and there's a lot of great cookies over here. Also, um, at the back table over here, we have um, a few resources, um, but uh, Haley Wood and I um, wrote an eight-week devotional um, on the idea of biblical oneness, and we delve into lots of this. And so if you are looking for something to study on your own to take you through scriptures for eight weeks, um, then we have those for sale uh, just back there at that back table for $5, and uh, you're welcome to buy some for you or for others uh, today. I would tell you that there's one or two format and grammatical things that aren't cleaned up in this copy that will be later on, but uh, the content is all there and we think would be really, really helpful for you. If you're even interested in joining a small group or study group that will take place this summer going through that book, again, you can see Haley and Ron um, at the back. So five-minute quick break, and then we'll be right back here to... Uh, to turn the corner and talk about some things that we can be doing, okay? Uh, well, we got some good questions, and um, we tried to kind of lump them together as best we could, and so uh, forgive us if we don't cover each one, but we tried to kind of uh, get them together, and, uh, and I just asked Laurent and Jeannie to have a question they're going to take a shot at here, and so if you guys want to just read the question or summarize it as best you can, and, and then uh, we'll go ahead and go from there. I was thinking you would read it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give him the hard one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give him the hard one there. I'm just going to handle this one. It says, if a person reacts in fear to a police uniform, is that not a form of prejudice? Is it wrong? I was talking to Ron a while ago, and, and this comes back to a thing that a buddy of mine who's now dead said to me. He said that his psychology major always used this term. It's, it's uh, your... Oh, I forgot what he said. What I say, your, your is your reality. Your uh, your perception, your perception is your reality. Okay, and so you take you take a uh, for instance the way that Ron said he was raised. Um, he was raised to be fearful of police officers because of things that he not only witnessed but he was a part of as a young kid. So he was most likely able to put that to rest, but I have come in contact with a lot of families who have had that in the past, and they're still raising their children to be scared of us, and so at some point, we have to turn that corner and 
I, I don't know what it's going to take. It goes back to fear, and I was talking to him a while ago. In our profession, fear can be your best friend because it can keep you alive. It can also be your worst enemy because it makes you perceive something is going to happen or somebody is a certain way, which is not the case at all. You can overreact. Uh, you can underreact. But I don't know that it's really a form of, 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 uh, of prejudice. I wouldn't go that far. Uh, we were talking, you know, it, it would be so simple in my job if, for instance, on a car stop we were talking, so simple, when you see a police officer, just go ahead and put your hands on the steering wheel until we approach. We know, because trust me, we want to go home, and we want you guys to go home. It's that simple. So I think it's a, I think it's a learning curve we're going to have to do. I wouldn't call it, it's pre, uh, I don't think it's prejudice. I think it's we all have to learn. That's what this is about. We all have to learn a new way to do things. Um, well said. I, I agree with that. Um, uh, a new way of thinking, uh, a new way of, uh, of interacting with one another. A uh, police officer has a tough job. They have to make split-second decisions. We need police officers. Um, but we, need, we need police officers that are good and make good decisions. We don't police officers that have an ulterior motive, not the majority of them, but those that do, um, they add to the difficulties that you face. My, the question here is, do you think that the way black people were raised to fear the police is part of the race issues in Tulsa today? Yes. All right. <laughs> I can take a simple answer, can you? <laughs> Um, yeah, I think what it's driving at is, can you go all the way back decades yeah. and decades and say, we're still seeing the ripple yeah. effect? Well, um, a, a parent teaches a child um, what's going to be safe for that child. Any danger, whether it's police officer, whether it's a, a pit bull dog, or whatever it is, you, your obligation is to keep, keep your child safe. And whatever dangers that the world presents, not just police officers, but, but whatever dangers that present. And so as parents, they were just teaching us what they thought was necessary for us to survive. And in that day, it was. And so the police officer, I was, I was, I was taught that, but you have to learn that the police officer is there for a specific purpose. But we still have to overcome that in the back of your mind. Each, each time a, a police car pulls up behind me, or, um, I, I still get antsy. I'm legal. I'm not doing anything illegal. Um, I, but, but there's still that what if something is not right? And I, I, I have that fear. And if I, uh, so the, the way black people are raised to fear the police, part of the race issue, yes, it's part of the race issues today. But the Bible says that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Fear doesn't come from God. As a matter of fact, um, perfect love casts out fear. And God is perfect love. So I'm, I'm not concerned. I'm not concerned with how I'm going to die. I know I'm going to die. I just want to be ready when I go. I've already made arrangements to leave here. 
And I know that the promise for me is better than what I'm living here. But while I'm here, I'm not going to deny grace. I'm not going to deny salvation or truth. I'm not going to allow my fear to keep me from being what God wants me to be. It doesn't make any difference. I'll share a short story. Jack Robbins is here today, and I've been waiting for a chance to get him. (laughs) We were in Indiana. Now, most of you might think that the Klan originated in Mississippi or Louisiana. The Klan originated in Indiana. Ask me how I know. We were, I was riding with Pastor Jack Robbins, my preacher white friend. And we're on a highway, and there are no highway lights. And I'm riding with a guy that I'd never seen. I just met him a few moments ago. Jack knew him, but I didn't. Kind of a heavyset white guy, and they were, um, Jack was in the back, and I was in the passenger seat, and this guy was driving, and we're going down this highway, and there, there, there are no highway lights. It's dark. And something gray runs across the road, and it, I guess it was a deer. I don't know. And uh, we're off in the boonies. And then we turn left off the highway, and this guy starts talking. He said, well, you know, the guy at the church where we're going, uh, his father is the Grand Imperial Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. So I'm thinking, um, I'm thinking Jack has told him something so he could mess with me. <laughs> he was for real. And we keep going, and we turn on this gravel road, and we're going down, and I go, oh, Lord, where are we now? And there's a barn. You talked about the Confederate flag. There was a barn, a wooden barn, and it had this, the biggest Confederate flag I've ever seen painted not waving on a flagpole, but painted permanently on the side of a barn. I go, oh, Lord, what have you got me into? And this guy goes on, and he keeps talking about this guy who was in the hospital, and he was the grand wizard and this and how he had to minister. And we were going to a prayer meeting on a Monday night in this place. So I'm praying now. <laughs> Jack is in the back seat laughing just like he is right now. <laughs> but we went there and they had these prayer uh, points that everyone is supposed to take a sheet and then we pray about these things. And really, one of the points on the prayer list was actually to pray for this guy that was in the hospital that was part of the clan. Hmm. And we actually ended up doing that. But God has taken me places, and the gospel doesn't stop at our prejudice. It requires us to do what God would have us do. You can't deny me grace because you don't like the way I look. I can't deny you grace or love because of the way you look or what I think about you. Grace freely offered must be freely given. That's what you said. And so the requirement is, and and, and I want to leave you with this question. Who is it that would be in heaven and it wouldn't be heaven for you? Um, a couple of questions were fairly similar, and I think I can answer them. Just kind of take a crack at them real quickly. But do you think the media plays a part of how we perceive each other? Can we just all go? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. 
Absolutely a big part. And don't think that people don't have an agenda. Um, somebody asked, what's the most effective way to use social media to love each other, um, to shed light on problems? Um, and understand that I don't want to paint them all with one brush. That's not, that's not fair. But for a, a news station to make money, they have to have lots of viewers. So they're thinking, how do we get viewers? Mm -hmm. They're not thinking, how can we speak into this issue like Highland Park is doing on Thursday night? <laughs> and, and so um, they're not just finding people who have slightly exaggerated a little bit this way and slightly exaggerated a little bit this way. They're finding people who are screaming over here and screaming over here at each other. And uh, if you think it's completely one-sided, then you might not quite have the right perspective that, to realize that, that there, there are, there's media outlets all over the political map and all over this issue. Um, I, I, um, I've given some examples on a blog I wrote one time, and I just put this picture, but it was one of those that was being passed around Facebook by a number of my Christian friends. And it said, um, here, I, I can't remember exactly, but basically, um, here's the amount of white-on-white -white crime versus black-on-white crime versus white. And, and it, like, I had all those numbers. And if you would look at it, you would think, well, the black-on-black -black crime and the black-on-white crime is really, really huge, and everything else is really insignificant. If you looked at the bottom part of the research, it came out of the San Francisco Bureau of da-da-da-da-da-da. The San Francisco Bureau of whatever doesn't exist. <laughs> Somebody made that graphic, and I mean the, the stats were actually almost, you could almost reverse everything. It was completely made up, and I had to ask myself, why did somebody do that? They did that so that people with a lighter skin tone would hate people with a darker skin tone. You can't have any other conclusion. Why else would you tell that story? And if you saw that and immediately agreed with it and shared it on Facebook, I've got a question. Are you looking to spread that too? Even if it's true, why would you spread it? Because all it's going to do is rile people up. And I would say you have a responsibility on social media and just with your words. Does it really need to be said? Is it even true? Or are you saying that? Isn't it just going to incite a hate towards somebody else? And, I, and it comes from every different direction. And we're just now talking about fake news, you know, and all that. But um, it comes from all, all types of places. And so um, I would say something helpful is... Uh, they ask, what can we do helpful with social media? Shoot a picture before you leave tonight and say, I I'm praying that I can learn to love people like Jesus loved people. And I'm thankful that other people are doing this. And I hope that if anything, we can look around tonight and maybe post some things on social media tonight and say, hey, uh, all is not lost and some people are kind of digging into this issue. So, um, Rainisha, you had a question. You want to go for that? This question says... <clears throat> Describe yourself to another minority who has a negative understanding of you and the people of your ethnic group with the purpose of, keep, or of keeping them, um, of helping them understand you. Okay, um, good question. Um, I, I would simply say, um, it, again, like Brian would say, it's, it's so easy to go to social media 
and feed the cravings of our flesh, because that's what we tend to do with social media, is we feed our flesh. Um, <laughs> um, and it's easy for me to, to look at a group of people and, you know, um, uh, be fed someone else's perspective of who they are. Um, but, but what I love most about God, um, as I always say, um, is um, there is no way of doing, of, of, of really truly understanding someone um, outside of being able to do life with them, right? Um, and, and again, when I, when I say laying down our lives, like getting beyond our comfort zones, um, stepping outside of our families and friends who look just like us, talk just like us, think just like us, and really, truly um, go and engage and do life with people who don't who don't look like you or think like you or talk like you. Um, you know, I, I've had situations in, in my professional career where just the tone in my voice makes me a, an aggressive black woman, right? Like I can say something totally different from from the majority group, and because because of my difference, it's so outside of their norm that it comes off aggressive, right? But if I'm with my black friends and I say the same thing, it's good conversation, right? Um, but it just goes to show just how, um, how just, you know, not in it we are with one another and, and willing to just allow us ourselves to be vulnerable. Like doing life together requires being vulnerable. It absolutely does. That means if you see me make a mistake, um, you see me sin, that before you attack me in that, that you're praying for me. Right, that, that you are giving me the grace that we continue to talk about before you again dismiss me. Um, if we say we are believers, right? Like, you know, if you're not a believer, I don't expect that from you, right? I don't. But if you are, if you say you're in Christ, if you say you believe in Christ, um, then I'm gonna have that, I'm gonna, that accountability is gonna be there. And so um, I would just simply say, do life with people who don't look like you. I mean, one of the things I love about, about my Jenny's family, uh, and that includes Steve and Jane, this, these people are my family. Like, my family. When I came to Highland Park in high school, I came with a friend just on a visit, you know, and I was like, okay, you know, black girl, all these white kids, right? Um, but they made me feel so welcome. And a huge part of that was because of Brian's heart and how Brian was raised. I wasn't a fan of the overall big Highland Park church, and I'm just being real. I didn't feel that reception from the bigger, older crowd in the group. But the younger youth pastor-led Brian Jennings and the group I got to do life with, they made me feel welcome, or they made me feel welcome. And so that was a huge part of me even staying in this fellowship for as long as I did. And then I started to, to uh, slowly begin to see God work in just even, although it was the only black person, I felt like God really used that to begin massaging people's hearts within the body of Highland Park. That, that my difference made them have to deal with where their hearts were in reference to dealing with someone who looked like me. Now, I don't know who all those people are, but I do, I, I did begin to see people interactions with me change in the bigger church um, in my time here at Highland Park, but be simply because I decided to, to lay my life down and to do life with them. So again, get out of our comfort zones, um, go do life with somebody that's different from you. Um, go listen to some gospel music, okay? Go listen to a black minister, a Hispanic min minister, a Native American minister. All white men ain't the only pastors, all right? Uh, Bethel Church ain't the only worship group, okay? Like, come on, y'all. God, God is so creative. 
his styles of worship and how he expresses himself. He is so, he's so much bigger than our preferences. And so I want to challenge you all, get out there, you know, make yourselves vulnerable. Let God use you and, and, and let his spirit draw you to other believers. You know, there are people who love God just as much as you do who don't look like you. Um, yeah, invite them to your table. Sit, eat, make it a potluck. You know, they may make something different and you may like it. So that's what I would say. You would be a... You and Diane would be proud of my Spotify account right now if you uh-huh. saw what I listened to. You've won me over. I, I'm, a, I'm a fan. But it's, it's great when you learn new and, um, and appreciate people. Um, uh, a lot of the questions that came in were kind of the same. And because it's so important, and I don't want time to get away from, from us and for us to not answer them, um, I, I, I want to just ask, a lot of people are saying, okay, so what can I do? You know, what, what can I do in my little world um, to speak into this? And if I can take one shot at this first, and I would love for the rest of you to, and if you want to speak individually or you want to speak uh, to, to you uh, with your church, um, and certainly you guys with, in the college work you do, um, but however you want to kind of address it, but just the application part, what can we do? What are some takeaways? What are some notes that people can write down? Um, uh, the, uh, the day after, the day or two days after um, Terrence Crutcher shooting and, and um, uh, all that happened, Tulsa was kind of like a stick of dynamite, it felt like. And um, it felt very intense. And I, I felt like I need to do something, and I don't know what to do. And so I knew a friend who lived very, or pastored a church very near the neighborhood where the shooting took place, and I thought, man, I bet you he's got people from his church who are hurting today, and I'm just going to go knock on his office door and pray with him. And he wasn't there. And so I was bummed. I was like, ah, I really wanted to do something. And I saw another church building that I'd passed. I'd never been there before. And I thought, and this is not really like me. I'm a little bit more introverted. But I thought, I'm just going to go knock on this door. And so I went and I knocked on that door. And Faye Martinez opened the door kind of hesitantly, but she opened it. <laughs> and, um, and I just said, hey, I'm from Highland Park uh, on 31st Street. Can I, uh, can I just pray for you? I, I'm concerned about our community. I'm just looking for somebody to pray for. I want you to know, and I realize your church building is, your community is right here in the thick of it. And um, she invited me in, not only that day, but into um, a prayer group meeting that's been happening that I've been part of every Thursday morning, every since, and thanks to Jack, and I see Bernadette and um, uh, Dr. Roland in the back, and um, has become one of the most important things in my life. And I tell you that story not because I did anything good. It was, that was all God-ordained that day. But I did not do anything that was going to change the national landscape in one day. And you probably won't either tomorrow. So quit worrying about trying to change the entire national landscape tomorrow and love somebody. Do one small thing. Take one small step. Pray for one person. Go out of your comfort zone. Um, The next day I was at Quiznos and I saw a police officer. It wasn't Gene, unfortunately. It was somebody else. I was hoping it was Gene when I saw the back of you. But I was like, oh, it's not Gene, but it's, it's a police officer, and I bet you this dude is hurting today, too. And I know that there's all this stuff going on. And so I cut in front of the Quiznos line and said, man, can I, can I buy your lunch today? 
And I said, if I can pray for you, I'd be glad to. Again, not going to change the national landscape in one day. Not going to be CNN and Fox aren't going to show up. (laughs) Um, So don't worry about it. Do like one thing that you can do. Just take little steps. And I think if you pray about it, I think God just gives them to you. He just answers the prayers and he gives you opportunities. So my, my two cents would be take some kind of small step tonight, take some small step tomorrow and avail yourself to how you can just love people and build some bridges. So anyway, thanks. Yeah, and I was going to tell you, we've been to all the graduations, and they tell you, you know, hold your applause till the end. If any of us say anything that's sensible, just go ahead and clap all you want. I mean, I just go for it. You don't have to, don't hold your applause till the end. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, we'll just, we'll just go down, and anything you want to give us a point of application. Yeah. So I'll, I'll say, I, if I could say maybe two or three things I would add to that list. Um, I would simply say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Um, abide in Christ. Um, there... Without the Holy Spirit, we don't got no power to do nothing, right? Um, and, and we can never be Christian enough to go into this work. So there's no amount of church going. There's no amount of reading your scriptures or singing a song that's going to make you fit to do this work. So abide in Christ. Um, pray. Ask God to give you, to lead and to guide you through his spirit into this work. Um, and he will answer. Oh, my God. He will answer. He will send you to a school full of white people, and you're the only black woman, right? He will do things like that, because that's just who he is, especially when you are, we're his vessels, y'all. We are the temple of the Lord, um, and he desires to use us for his glory. Um, And that's my second thing. Everything we do is for the glory of God. This is not to feed our comfort. This is not to feed our pockets. This is not to grow our churches, Mm -hmm. but this is to glorify God and advance his kingdom. So if we would keep that at the, at the forefront of why we do what we're doing, um, this isn't just so we can grow our black friend group or our white friend group. This is, God said, they will know that we are his disciples by the love we have for one another. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That when, when, if you post this picture with all these black people, white people, Hispanic people, all people we have in this room, there is something different about this. Our churches aren't reflecting this picture right here, but this speaks volumes to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we have to continue to celebrate that and desire that because we desire God and his glory. Um, so those would be my big thing. And get out the box. You know, go do life with people who are different from you. Um, go in and, you know, know your neighbors. That's the other thing. Y'all have neighbors. They may not be diverse, but go and love on your neighbors, right? God said, love your neighbors as you love yourself. If you really love you, then you should be really loving your neighbors, right? So let's do that. They may not be diverse, but they're weird, right? Exactly. Your neighbors, right? Yeah, I've been really praying. I will tell you, I have a, I have a couple. I have a neighbor, or it's a young couple. They have two kids, and I do my darnest to go out the way to like engage them. And it's like every time I get home, they hurry and they go inside their house. Yeah. And I'm like, but I'm nice, and I love the Lord. Come out, friends, come out. And they won't come out. I'm like, I'm still praying on that though. Y'all pray yeah, with me on yeah. that, okay? All right, Matthew. Um, man, I have, I have like 30 different things going on in my mind right now, uh, so I'm trying to summarize it all. Um, first, uh, you need to just, just read the scriptures. Read the scriptures. Uh, uh, we live in a world where um, diversity is becoming, is becoming more of like a, 
a thing that everybody wants to have. Yeah, a trend. Yeah. It's something that everybody really wants because then you can say, and we have this much diversity here. Um, and there's, trust me, you want diversity when it comes to ethnicity and culture and all that stuff um, represented, but they do it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Uh, we do it for the right reasons because it's, it's found in, in the Bible. Um, I don't think you can go anywhere throughout the scriptures and not see God's heart uh, for diversity because I tell, I tell the students at Ozark, um, the whole reason why we started, I had all these questions, why, why is Ozark starting a diversity department? Why do we need to do this, do that? My, my, my first week of the job, I went to this conference and a bunch of alumni from Ozark were asking me this question. So I had to like, think of three things I can just repeat to them uh, real fast. But ultimately, the reason why is because God's heart uh, for diversity needs to exist in, 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 our, in our lives. Um, it's reflected in his kingdom. When you look at Revelation 7, you see it's not just a great multitude. It's a great multitude from every nation, tribe, and language, and people group. John didn't have to say that. John could have just said, I saw a great multitude before the throne worshiping God. But he specified mm-hmm. who these people were. You look in the book of Acts, and you see how the gospel doesn't just stay in Jerusalem, but it goes to Judea and then Samaria, and even he had to push it to go into the ends of the earth. And you see a church in Acts 11 with Antioch, and Luke doesn't describe the leadership just by their names. He says their names with their backgrounds. He says there's a man uh, named Lucius from Cyrene, Cyrene being in northern Africa. We know most likely what this guy looks like. And not even, even beyond ethnicity, it goes into socioeconomics. He says there's a guy uh, named Mannion, and he uh, is on the court of Herod the Tetrarch. That means this man is rich. This man is of high class. And this was represented in a church that ended up sending out Paul and Barnabas and the gospel went to the ends of the earth. So read the scriptures. Ephesians is, is my favorite one. Um, man, I don't think you can read Ephesians without hearing God's heart for unity, and especially in Ephesians 2 and 3 where it talks about how there's Jews and Gentiles and the Gentiles are far off from God, but then Christ came and now we're one. Um, and it, it highlights ethnicity, it highlights that. It doesn't go away. God's not colorblind because he made color, okay? He, he's represented in different cultures. Um, I tell the students, this is what I was going to say, and then I forgot it because I got into it. Um, I tell the students at the college that um, our cultures, where, where we come from, are like different puzzle pieces. We're all like different puzzle pieces. Some of us some of us, though, look very different from somebody else, but we only reflect a certain part of the overall picture. We're all made in the image of God, but because of who we are in our culture, we represent a certain part of God. We show a certain glimpse of God. Now imagine, though, when all those pieces are put together, then you see the clear picture of who God is. That's why diversity. So read the scriptures. I know I'm speaking a lot. I'm sorry. Um, I'm pumped about these things. I get paid to do it. So, um, <laughs> That's how you know it's God. Yes. <laughs> um, but read the scriptures. Um, and honestly, like I said about individualism, the way, the way you fight against individualism is when you make your community a part of you. We so much think in the, in the terms of it's me versus them. 
It's my group versus their group. That's how we do in sports. It's the Lakers versus the Celtics. It's the West versus the East. And everyone in the West hates the East, and everyone in the East hates the West. We think naturally, we, we want to push people away. The truth is, in the kingdom, it's not like that. It's all of us. Therefore, no matter who you are, where you're from, even if you don't like me, you're part of me. You're with me. I think if we can change our mindset to thinking that way, man, our hearts will break for anybody. And you will love anybody. And when you're able to read God's uh, scripture, then you will hear his voice. So, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Laron, go ahead. Amen. Um, What is it we can do? Um, I'm going to go a little further. Um, equality is not what God commands. <clears throat> God commands, he said, a new command that I give you that you love one another. It's not an option. You don't get to choose. God commands that we love one another. That's his command. Uh, a command is not something that you get to a debate about. It's not a suggestion. It's a command from God, love one another. And Philippians tells us, uh, don't do anything out of selfishness or vain deceit, but for each one of us to esteem the other higher than yourself. That's not equality. That means the commandment of God, the mandate of God, is for me to think more of you than I do of myself. Mm -hmm. That ain't equality. That means that I care more about you than I do myself. That's the only, that's the only way this thing can change. Because as long as we're trying to figure it out and try to make it equal, somebody's going to lose. Because who's ever doing the figuring, if I'm doing the figuring, I'm figuring I'm getting the short end of the stick. If he's doing the figuring, he's figuring he's getting the short end of the stick. But God says, I have to think of you more highly than I think of myself. That's Jesus. Jesus thought more of you than he did of himself. That's what took him to the cross. He thought more of us than he did of himself. Not equality. Lose yourself. God is not concerned with making you a better you. He's concerned with you being the witness that he's called you to be. And whatever that takes you and whatever that requires, that's what he calls you to do. So the practical application, not equality. Lose who you are, become who Jesus wants you to be. And whatever that costs you, be willing to do that. How do you follow that? Um, <laughs> you know, I go back to this word that I used a while ago, and it's grace. And when you think about grace, it covers, I mean, it covers everything. I could stop right there. You could say it covers forgiveness, it covers understanding, acceptance of each other. But the word that keeps coming back to me that, that seems to be the real issue with why we're up here right now and why we've been doing the same thing. What's the definition 
of insanity. Does everybody know what that is, right? Over and over and over, expecting different results. We've been doing this for 250 years. I think by now we ought to get it, right? And we're not getting it. But it comes down to one simple word for me, and it's, it's respect. It's, it's, it's really respect. This world is big enough that we can respect each other's diversity, individuality, uh, our ethnic background, our different races, but that shouldn't separate us. It ought to bring us together. If we spent nearly as much time becoming stronger because of our, our likenesses as separating ourselves because of our differences that we see, we wouldn't have any issues right now. We'd have no issues whatsoever. So we're outside of your comfort zone, find out what it is that, where you're weak and work on that. That's what I'm doing. And I appreciate being part of this. Thank you, Gene. All right. Uh, to be completely honest, uh, I don't know one practical thing to do with Hispanic people, but uh, that's because I, I honestly don't know like the interaction that you might have. So just to know, for me to know, can you uh, raise your hand if you live next to a Hispanic person or have a Hispanic coworker? Okay, so about half, a little bit more than half. Okay, so how many of you has uh, had lunch with that Hispanic person? Okay, a little bit less. Okay, for those of you, perfect, that's awesome. Uh, so do it again. Um, for those of you that didn't, that's a fantastic way to, uh, to start that. Uh, for those of you that has a Hispanic um, neighbor or coworker, uh, having a meal with a Hispanic person is a lot. And uh, just a little bit of training. Uh, if you invite them over, they might stay for a really long time. Um, <laughs> and if you invite them to go out, or they might be really late. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, if you invite them out to eat, uh, they expect you to pay because that's the culture of uh, the Hispanic people. So that's a little bit of training. Uh, now I know that sometimes there's like language barriers. Um, and that's a different issue. Um, if you don't have, um, if you have a neighbor or a coworker with, and they don't speak English, um, just, uh, you can ask me and I'll write a little note and you can put it on top of a tray of cookies uh, and just bring it to them. Uh, just little things like that. You can Google Translate, even if it's terrible translation, just the fact that you tried uh, communicating with somebody that has a language barrier means the world to them because sometimes they're afraid to even try to speak English. Now, if you don't have interaction with, um, with somebody that's um, Hispanic, um, then that's a little more difficult. You can uh, start shopping uh, between 11th and 31st on Garnet. Um, and you, if you're going to buy food around there, then just buy um, food for the person either in front of or behind you. There's a 90 5% chance that they're Hispanic, um, maybe less than that, but there's a high possibility that there's going to be Hispanic people, and just the fact that you try to do things like that, um, it's a big step, but for this one, it's like, there's a lot of different possibilities, like, yeah. it's really difficult, so honestly, that's all I have. All right. Thank you, Jose. One, one last thing that might be helpful to you is that um, while I think we're all agreeing that 
the relation, your relationship to the Lord is where everything begins and ends. And if that's not there, none of this stuff ever gets better. Maybe, maybe for like a couple minutes. But until the human heart is changed, you know, we believe that. Um, and then uh, going out and being friends with whoever your next door neighbor is, whoever the people are, uh, but, um, but being also intentional to step beyond maybe your normal comfort boundaries. And, and I would also add that there is an amount of learning and reading that you can do that is very helpful. And, you know, you can read a book that can change your perspective forever. And um, uh, I, I would, you know, just highlight that in the, in the oneness devotionals, I think on the back page, we have some recommended reading both for church leaders and just also for individuals. And it's not very comprehensive. Um, uh, everyone up here could probably give you a, a long list of books, but uh, there's some books that you could pick up and are very accessible and you could read them in a week or two, and then you could delve into some heavier work as well. But I, I do think just reading and listening and opening your mind up to, uh, to learning about others is really helpful. So don't discount. I think there's just some academic work that we can do and that churches can do. And one thing that our church has thought about is, um, you know, never in this church's history have we ever told anybody stay away. Um, but I think every church can ask, is there anything that we're accidentally doing that might make it difficult for somebody of a different cultural background or somebody who's rich to come or somebody who's poor to come, um, whatever it might be. And just to always be asking, is there, are there any barriers that we've accidentally, unintentionally put up and if so, can we, can we remove those? And that's uh, one of the, the questions that we're asking. Um, I'm going to close with just, uh, um, just, just a really brief story. Before I do, I would just uh, remind you, um, once we're done, if you would like to visit, uh, we're glad to stick around and visit for a little while. Um, I need to say thank you, but I'm not going to list them off. Thank you to everyone who put this thing together, from tech to kitchen to setup to tear down. And, uh, a lot of people behind the scenes, thank you so much. Um, uh, we would love for you to pick up one of the oneness devotionals on your way out. Um, what Matthew said, you know, getting into the word, it will get you into the word and, um, and reading scripture and journaling and thinking and praying about it. When Dr. John Perkins if, um, was being beaten in a Mississippi jail, he, his friends thought he was dead. And uh, I had the chance to visit with him a couple years ago, and he leaned in really close to me when he got to this part. He talked about the beating and how he still feels it in his body every day. He said, Brian, you know, when they were beating me, um, if I would have had a grenade, I would have pulled the pin and dropped it and blown us all to smithereens right there. He said, because I hated those men as much as they hated me. And I realized in that moment that they were victims and I was victims because we all hated each other. And in that moment, God put the verse, Galatians 2.20, in Dr. John Perkins' mind, um, and that how in the world can we do this? How can we love unless we are crucified to self? Perkins realized he had to die to himself in that moment and every day, and you've had to do it throughout your lives. You've had to do it as a, fire, as a fireman. You've had to do it as a police officer. You've had to do it both Mexico and coming here. And uh, the truth is, every one of you has the option to die to self as well. And so we thank you so much for being part of this evening. I had no clue what to expect. 
but God really put it on our heart to put this thing together. And somebody who I pray with every week, I've asked him to close us in prayer. And so, um, Jack Robbins, if you would, would you come up and can I hand him this microphone? And he is going to pray for us. Thank you, Brian. Brian is one of the blessings God's brought in my life in the last year. And you at the Highland Park Christian Church are very blessed and fortunate to have him. Well, there's the doxology, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let's stand together. Reach out there and touch someone or grab their hand. And if you're able to stand, and let's have our closing prayer. Our Father, we want to thank you. We say in the words of Jesus, Holy Father, Righteous Father, our Father who art in heaven. We come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus, as he taught us to pray in his name. And we come praying in the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we know as far as unity, the Father, Son, and Spirit are one. We live in a very broken and diverse world of division. But thank you for calling us into your kingdom and giving us the ministry of reconciliation. May we not forget that Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Lord, forgive us as your children when we don't even love our brothers in Christ or our sisters. Teach us, O God, not only to love you supremely, but to love our neighbor as we love ourselves and even love our enemies. May we not forget that love is patient, that love is kind. Love does not insist upon its own way, but bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, endures all things. And may we not forget that now abides faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Thank you for the enlightenment and the encouragement that we've received here tonight. And Lord, in our closing prayer, we can't improve on what Jesus taught us when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And would you join with me not just in saying the Lord's Prayer, but in praying the Lord's Prayer As he taught us to pray, join with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom the power, and the glory forever. And all of God's people said, Amen.